All right. So Brian Murray comes in to Eugene Melnick's office and he says, all right, I've got this great plan for the team. And Eugene is like, all right, tell me about it. He was like, well, first of all, we're going to take the oldest defenseman on the team and we're not going to give him one year. We're going to give him two years because of leadership. And no matter how much you think we should, we're not going to trade Chris Neal because that guy's a heart and soul guy. Keeps the team honest. He was just all leadership, heart and character. Do great things for his country. And then we're going to have fourth line pluggers. You know, not even two years, three years. And then Melnick's like, that's a great plan. What do you call it? And Brian Murray says, the intangibles. Oh, (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) United in red. Remember Todd White. Where did Eric Carlson eat last night? Doesn't matter if you ask, it's the Chet and Luke Podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode MacArthur of the Chet Sellers and Luke Peristi Podcast. I'm Luke, and I'm joined as always by the author of Dig It to the Limit, Randy Sexton, the Ottawa Senators, and the Eagles cover band that changed the course of hockey history. It's Chet Sellers. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Episode MacArthur. It's very exciting. Yeah, we finally got to a player we liked <laughs> in the episode. Actually, <laughs> well, we could also call this episode Philip Squared. Yeah. Uh, so, how you been? I've been I've been well. I've been well. Things are things are um, really good, except perhaps for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, you know what? You're not wrong there, but I'm still really happy to be back in the stolen porta potty that we call a recording studio. So, <laughs> usual thanks for having me. Uh, where where are you on the Senators right now? Are you on Team Tank? Ah, let's get right into this. Good. Um, I am not on Team Tank because it's way more fun to cheer for a 10% shot at the playoffs than it is for a 4% increase in Connor McDavid. It's kind of like, what's Team Tank cheering for at this point? It's like, yes, if we lose more games, those chances are going to go up from 10 to 15%. Well, what is the the expected value of 4% of Connor McDavid versus a quick first-round playoff exit? Um, In terms of long-term gain, hard to project. In terms of my personal happiness, like it's not even close. Like let's get let's get a few days of you know pre playoffs excitement before realizing just how screwed we are. Right, and then that's kind of worth it for me. You get to the playoffs, snow starts to melt, anything can happen, and uh, there's a there's a real uh, sense of hope in the air. Exactly, I'm out there in my driveway with my Senators jersey on, taking shots at my garage door before going in for the game, and then kind of three minutes later, I'm very sad. Whereas sitting there on draft lottery night is sort of a briefer, darker hope. Right? Like, it doesn't last nearly as long. <laughs> it's far more likely to uh, uh, end up badly for you, and uh, then it's over, and you're like, well, that wasn't worth it. See, as bad as the team plays, it's still so, like, improbable that Ottawa ends up with the first overall draft pick that it's not even worth entertaining in my mind. That's wasted mental and emotional en- energy for me. So, if they were, like, the best 
non-playoff team. Like they were the 17th best team. They'd have something like a 1% chance, right? Yeah. Right now they're sitting, they're the seventh worst team in hockey, right? They're not in the bottom five. The bottom five is... Lots is... of games in hand, though. <laughs> Lots of games, like three or four games in hand. Like, so you give got, them some time. They've got a few losses in hand. That's fair. That's fair. But you're not catching Buffalo. You're not catching Edmonton. Uh, yeah, Ari- shout out to the kings of tanking right there. Arizona will be tough to catch. Uh, and I don't have the standings in front of me. I'm not going to look it up. So I think you really you're looking at kind of that middle tier crappy bracket of like Columbus and New Jersey. Those are the teams that, that we're chasing for maybe getting fourth, which is um, like, our deep friend, our good friends, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I believe. Are Toronto, in right Toronto now. Maple Leafs are in there. We are. I believe we have fewer points than the Maple Leafs right now, but we also have games in hand. That's something I can look to and really feel great about in that, you know, at least that's not happening. Like Ottawa at least is losing entertaining games. So, so you want to see entertaining losses down the stretch? Uh, if if we must lose, then I, at least I'd like to be into it, kind of. Where if you just look at the Leafs, they are a apocalyptic hellscape emotionally <laughs> right now. No, I mean, they're going to get Mike Richards. Everything will be fine. <laughs> I mean, Dion Phaneuf is hurt. Like, that defense core is basically like a jackass sketch at this point <laughs> expect them to start every game like hi i'm johnny knoxville and this is morgan riley on the first pairing <laughs> but i want to go back to the the draft odds for a second so if they're the fourth or the fifth worst team in hockey they have what like an eight to ten percent chance of getting the number one overall pick right i kind of like those odds if i'm if i'm honest and the reason why i say that is i don't know i just feel like this is the year that somebody comes out of nowhere and wins the draft lottery right with like ridiculous odds just to really stick it to buffalo that right? really because- that, that already happened a few years ago with uh new jersey and that's how we got mika zivanejad <laughs> <laughs> but we've already proven that god hates buffalo right so i feel like this is the year that they do everything they can to tank and they still don't get the number one overall pick all right so do you want to that in right now and say that Buffalo will not win the draft. Buffalo is not going to win the draft. I'm locking that in right now. That's my final answer. You heard it here first, folks. I don't know that Ottawa would necessarily be the team to leapfrog everybody else, but why not us? Why not now, right? The Canadian dollar is in the turlet. The Senators can't avail themselves of the NHL's line of credit from the new broadcasting deal. Uh, (laughs) Is now not the time that Gary Bettman does his buddy huge a favor and rigs the draft lottery to get the Senators' Connor McDavid, right? Like it's it's the time is now. I want a heat gun on those envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> Having said all of that, I'm not on Team Tank. And I'll tell you why. I don't think the Senators should do anything to actively lose games. I do think the Senators... take right there, folks. I do think the Senators should do some logical things like that they should be doing anyway, right? Like getting rid of a couple of veterans, even just getting draft picks for them, playing some of the guys that need to get development time, chief among them Robin Lehner. And basically you win, you lose, whatever. But, you know, do the stuff that's setting you up for next year, which in the short term might result in winning a couple fewer games. But that's fine, right? That's that's developmental i'd rather see that than hope that they're gonna lose right i don't want i'm not hoping that they're gonna lose because at the end of the day you watch a team that's not very entertaining for four months you get an eight percent chance at a lottery pick you lose and then you're done yeah you're right i think i've figured it out i think team tank people are the ones who care too much and you know pretending like you're happy the team is losing that's a coping mechanism you're going into that you're going on the bright side we lost 
and you're trying to like take that negative and make it okay. And I think that's just because you can't face the you know the the reality that you love this team so much and they lost, and you're trying to find positives in anything. Well, there is something a little bit freeing about not worrying about whether your team wins or loses, right? You can just sort of watch the game on its own terms, not be too tied up in the outcome. Just let it wash over you, right? Like a like a like a spa waterfall, and just experience the game regardless whether they win or lose. Like I know they're not going to make the playoffs, so if they lose. I'm like, well, you know, long term, what's what's the problem here? Like, it's it's fine, but I still want to watch entertaining hockey games. I go back to 2010, 2011, right? The last time that that the Senators started chasing a top five pick, and Craig <laughs> Anderson played them out of the top five, and they ended up at sixth, and they got Mika Zibanejad. Again, I don't think of that as losing a Gabriel Landeskog. I think of it as gaining a Craig Anderson. They didn't tank. They, I mean, they traded off the guys that it made sense to trade off. They probably could have traded off a few more. More. They probably could have traded Chris Neal back then. They probably could have traded Chris Phillips. Um, they probably didn't need to play a red-hot Craig Anderson for the entire end of the season <laughs> to go from second overall to sixth overall. Wasn't Craig Anderson's first game the one he like, had a fifty-three game, like fifty-three safe shutout, in which Ottawa won one nothing? Yeah, Toronto I want to say it was forty-seven. Yeah, it was, it was some against, ridiculous against, number, and it was against Toronto too, right? And yeah. everyone was like, "This guy's a hero. He's yeah. our new favorite goalie." But I think your point's a good one, which is that okay, so you ended up with. Banajad instead of Landeskog. But you also, you know, rolled the dice on Craig Anderson, found yourself you're basically your franchise goalie for at least the next three years, right? So in the long term, is the team better with Anderson and Zabanajad than it would have been with Landeskog and only Landeskog? Probably. Even if you even if you play yourself out of a top five pick, right? You're better off seeing what you have. Maybe call a couple guys up. Maybe see if Freddie Clayson can play in the NHL. Give Robin Lehner every chance to fail that, that you think he needs. In a way, there's a silver lining right now to Craig Anderson being on the IR. Right? Rest in peace, Craig Anderson. Be- <laughs> because there's like no reason not to, to be playing Robin Lehner one way or the other, right? I mean, everybody said, well, it's he's not having a great year, but it's very hard for him to get a momentum going when he's just like a spot backup. Get him out there, put him in a rhythm, see what he does, and then they can hell trade him, right? I mean, if they're going to trade him, then they can, they can at least play him, see what they've got with him, and uh, make a decision after that. Well, that's the thing for me, is that Robin Lehner's starting to get just the faintest whiff of David Rundblad for me. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, highly touted Swedish prospect that the fan base loves kind of seems to be stagnated in his development and Ottawa may move him for some sort of re- reclamation project such as but not necessarily Taylor Hall. <laughs> you know what? You, if you look at Robin Leonard's stats, he started out very hot out of the gate and the majority of his time spent playing hockey in Ottawa is actually not that good. He's kind of coasting on the reputation of the lockout season at this point and since then it's he's, he hasn't even put up like slightly below average numbers. They've, they've been bad. He's, he's rocking like a cool 900 save percentage over his last 25 games or something. But do you think there's an argument that he basically needs to be the guy starting three quarters of the games before we can sort of say, okay, he's he's not, you know, developing the way he should or not? Because, I mean, this could just be a bad stretch of games, right? Like, he's, I, I completely agree. He's not been very good this year. But, you know, don't you want to, like, throw him out there and, and basically pretend he's your number one goalie and see how it works before you uh, before you make that decision? It's kind of a chicken and egg situation, I agree. Uh, you look at what Carey Price was doing at Robin Leonard's age. I think he's 23 right now. And, you know, Carey Price started, like, 60 or 70 games for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, and it's, he still took a few years to get good, right? Even though he was starting a lot of games at 23. Mm-hmm. Like, that is... 
young for a goalie. Like, I get that he's older now than Runblad was when the Senators traded Runblad. He was like, what, 21? The secret 22? of goalies is, though, that they, they peak or they peak younger than you think. They're, they're at their statistical peak at, you know, 25, and then they kind of maintain that for a few years before dropping off at Craig Anderson's age. Well, but see, Brian Murray says about Craig Anderson that because he basically didn't play much his first five or six years, that he's going to last a lot longer. Uh, it's the old, this car was driven by an old lady corollary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's Great. only got 10,000 miles on it. You only drove it back and forth between Safeway and it's, it's a 92 Nova, but it's only got 5,000 clicks on it because this <laughs> Craig Anderson only went to church on Sundays. That's right. Deal of the century. Um, if Craig Anderson had hair, though, nobody would think that he was like really an old, decrepit old man. Like he's 33 or something like that. He's, you know, I mean, he gets hurt every year, but usually not in like a back or hip or groin kind of way. Yeah, he, like, always gets, he always gets weird injuries. <laughs> yeah. So like, what was it? Two years ago, he stabbed himself. And it was the, the frozen chicken thing, right? Yeah. Last year, he got run by, who was it, from Dallas? Nichuskin or whatever his name is? I don't know about other hockey teams. And he was that was when he was carried out on the stretcher, and he was out for, what, a couple of weeks at that mm-hmm. point? I remember that being very scary. Now he's got a hand injury from the Leafs game that nobody's quite sure what it is. He's not like a guy who gets hurt in the way that goalies normally get hurt. He seems to have had a lot of bad luck, but he's not, like, <laughs> decrepit. Like, he still seems like a flexible guy. Bad he luck. Just, bad luck of course being one of the main things you want in your goalies (laughs) rest in peace pascal leclerc my only point is that if he had a full head of hair i don't think people would think he was as old as he is that's all i'm saying he's a he's a spry 33 year old chasing toddlers around his house yeah exactly stubs his foot on the coffee table out for three weeks right that's kind of also the dirty little secret of robin Leonard right now is that no one's talking about it but it's on everyone's mind the fact that his decline this season has coincided with him having a kid are we allowed to talk about that are we just going to all collectively ignore it as a fan base what you're implying there's some causality there between him having a kid not being as good i'm saying there's definitely a correlation i mean we need to do a double blind study probably so is that that one of the reasons why maybe kyle turris isn't having as great a season you know that could be what we're finding out here kids great for your personal not personal life not necessarily a good career move patrick weirkosh also just had a kid did he really he did Oh. No, I don't think anybody announced it. His um, his uh, kid's name is Paxton Cross Weirkosh. You're you're making that up? No, I'm not. Paxton Cross. I think that's a, I think that's the first time I've ever associated Patrick Weirkosh with the act of sex before. So that's a weird <laughs> thing for me. I'm still working on that a bit. And Turris's son's name, I believe, is Beckett. So they've got Beckett and Paxton, right? And these are these okay. Are, that, that these are the names of our future NHLers: Beckett, Paxton, Jaden. Beckett, Beckett and Paxton sounds like a buddy cop movie from the future. <laughs> they're out there on Andromeda. Yeah, they're they're, on, they're on hover bikes, and they're both uh, strangely androgynous. <laughs> You know, we, there was a game uh, on Thursday. Someone came back to Ottawa, a place where he once made his home. It wasn't Alex Hemsky, well, it kind of was, but that's not who we were there to see. Oh, no, you're right. It was a, uh emotional night. You know, I knew it would be kind of a big deal uh, to see Patrick Eves come back, but I, I think I was ready for it. I think the, the city reacted in kind of a classy way, welcoming back Patrick Eves. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was proud. I was proud of Sens fans. Yeah, I think it was a, just a real classy move by, you know, the Ottawa organization to, you know, acknowledge his, you know, year of loyal service seven years ago. You know, I, what can you say about the organization is that even on a down year, they're doing a great job with kind of like making sure the emotional healing is there. Why? And I like that video tribute to Patrick Eves that they played. 
Yeah, they play, They showed every one of his seven goals as a senator, which was, you know... <laughs> did he actually good. have seven goals? Did you look that up? No, I did not okay. look that up. <laughs> what, you, you think I do research for it this? Seems Get high. out. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, Jason Spezza came back to Ottawa on Thursday. Well, this was exactly the same as Alfredson last year, where the senators had already played against the team in their city, but this was the guy coming back to Ottawa. And it was, to me, the, the Jason Spezza... Ottawa relationship in a nutshell. And the fact that Spezza was always kind of star-crossed in Ottawa and people never really embraced him as much as they did in Alfredson or even like Chris Neal. He comes back well, to Ottawa. Well, look how cuddly Chris Neal is, though. Like, well, he is. That's the guy you just want to embrace constantly. Jason Spezza comes back to Ottawa in the middle of a driving snowstorm. Half of the rink isn't even in their seats when they play his video tribute halfway through the first period. And I was just like, yep, that that is that is Jason Spezza's life in Ottawa. Jason Spezza returns the meh Third round Ottawa. <laughs> well, there was so so when they did play his his video tribute, which had a lot of pretty sweet goals in it, quite frankly. Uh, they, you know, people got up, they gave him a standing ovation. It was nowhere near what Alfredson got last year. I was surprised you got a standing O, to be honest. There I, were a couple people booing him when he touched the puck. There were a few behind us. Stay classy, Ottawa. I, do, I mean, I don't get that. I don't think it makes sense. Like, didn't you boo him enough while he was here? Like, <laughs> let the man live his life. There was a guy behind us booing Spezza who also kept referring to Eric Carlson as Carly, <laughs> which I think was a term of endearment. But he's like, come on, Carly, come on. And I was like, I can't. Yeah, I had can't. some Scotian sitting behind us. I say. Come on, Carly. I can't handle this. These <laughs> Valley guys with their nicknames. So they play his video tribute, and I remember at the end, Stunt. I thought this was funny. Stuntman Stu was like, Jason Spezza, thank you for your service. Which is like exactly what they say when they introduce a veteran during the games. <laughs> like, Jason Spezza had given all this time to Ottawa, and he'd like lost a leg there, and he'd come back, and everybody was cheering his sacrifice for spending 11 years in Ottawa. But he still got PTSD. Like, he was, he was never the one one true senator, right? Like, he was never as great as he was. He was never fully embraced by the people of Ottawa. And so the reception that he got Thursday night, I'd say, was on par with that. It's like, yep, thanks for 11 years, but now we're moving on. I was kind of thinking about this the other day, and I was like, why is Jason Spezza, uh, why isn't he more beloved? In Ottawa or or, or generally? Or not not even beloved. How about just liked? Like more than a five point five out of ten out of ten on the the feeling scale. Yeah. Okay, well, how about this? You remember that really big and important goal Jason Spezza scored? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> like that's so, like the guy put up like he never had a moment. Okay, there so was, he, you, there was never one time you can go that was the moment Jason Spezza did the thing. So he didn't have Alfredson's overtime goal in the conference finals. He didn't have Alfredson's game time goal against Pittsburgh in the second round of the playoffs. He didn't have any of that stuff. He had a lot of highlight reel goals, right? Like he had his end to end against the Canucks. He had that crazy deke out against Montreal. Um, you know, in his like second or third year of his career, like. Yeah, these he had that one where he dangled the entire team against the Jets and then dished it to tourists. Yes, the, and they were playing all those highlights, right? Mm-hmm. And you watch them all in, in sequence. You're like, oh my god, I forgot how great Jason Spezza is. But I guess you're right. Um, I'm trying to think of a really timely Jason Spezza goal. Um, but, you know, <laughs> he still has like 670 career points. I know. I they don't just, all have to I'm be timely. Saying, I'm just saying, you go, you look at why isn't Jason Spezza more appreciated by the fan base, and I think that's what it comes down to, is that there there wasn't a time 
when Jason Spezza was like, I'm taking this game into my hands. I, I think he just got off on the wrong foot, especially with Jacques Martin making the boy comment. And you know how Ottawa is, right? Blue collar, <laughs> bring your lunchbox to work. Uh, we like defense and back checking. And none Jeans, of which, pickup trucks, and country music. Jeans, pickup trucks, and country music. None of which Jason Spezza really does. He's more about the uh, the Maserati and the, uh, you know, carefully tailored Hugo Boss slacks uh, and the, you know, Italian brickwork on his infield home in Island Park that comes out basically to the curb. Marble countertops. Lots. Of, Jason Spezza is the marble countertops of first line centers, right? Like, gets the job done, flashy, but uh, there's just, there's some tacky element to it. It's going to hurt your resale value There's in the some long tacky run. element to it you can't get over it, and, and yeah, it's going to hurt your resale value. These marble countertops. But I think that was part of the reason why he was never fully embraced the way like a Chris Neal was. Or or else, with Chris Neal, at least he's at least playing his ability. He's squeezing everything he can. Out yeah, of the expectations definitely play yeah. a factor there. You know, whereas Spezza was the number two pick, but I guess everybody always felt he was kind of a show pony, which I don't think was fair. Like, what if Spezza gets the overtime goal against Buffalo? How much do you think fan perception changes there? I mean, I mean, this is some serious, you know, time machine. What if thing happened? No, but here. you're right. I mean, that's that's part of the mythology of Alfredson, right? Like all that stuff adds up to a greater whole. You're right. Spezza doesn't have any of those, he, so he will never be the one true senator, right? The the way the narrative developed around Alfredson, he tried to pull the sword out of the stone and he just couldn't do it. But I'll tell you who still has a shot at being the one true senator. The guy who later today, we're taping this on Saturday afternoon, will be playing in his 1178th game, tying Daniel Alfredson, Christopher Phillips. Uh, the, it was the, me. The defense, I was here the, the all defense, along. The defensive worry from Fort McMurray. <laughs> you know, Phillips is the guy who's like, you know, I will never leave. I will always be here for you. I will just keep ticking the games away. And eventually I will be the franchise games leader. And you know what I can see happening, right, is he'll play. He's going to tie Alfredson today. Tuesday, I believe they play in Jersey. He'll be scratched. Absolutely. And then he will 100%. And then he will break the record at home against the Washington Capitals on Thursday. It will be his 1,179th game, passing Daniel Alfredson for the all-time franchise lead, perhaps never to be broken in you know this day and age of free agency and trades and all of that stuff. And then I except see, by Chris Neal, <laughs> and then I, I could see him beating Alfredson by one and then being scratched for the rest of the year. You were at the game with me. How many times did I use Chris Phillips' name in a sentence that also either contained profanity? or blasphemed the name of our Lord? Uh, there were a couple, but I think you actually took it out on Cowan more than you did on Phillips. <laughs> but, you know, Chris Chris Phillips, he's just, he's always, uh, he's got the longevity, right? He's not about peak value as and much you know as... He, but you know he knows, right? Chris, like, if you jack up a long three and pick up basketball and, like, don't even hit anything, like, you jog backwards down the court going, well, my bad, guys, my bad. <laughs> and that's kind of Chris Phillips at all times. <laughs> he's like, he knows. Yeah. He's like, should have had that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas Jared Cowan's kind of like, did I leave my oven on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jared Cowan does have that crippling OCD that he's always worried about whether or not he locked his truck when he's, when he's trying to defend against a two-on-one. Goes back out of the parking lot at the second intermission. Yeah, exactly. He's been locked the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. At least I feel better now. He's, he's skating backwards as Stamkos comes at him. He's like, did I turn off the oven? Yes. And then and then he's been beaten. Yeah. Right. 
Life comes at you fast. Uh, the Senators team is a box of chocolates. You know, they're going to come out and beat Anaheim 5-1, or they're going to come out and lose to Buffalo, because why the hell not? See, when you said the Senators are like a box of chocolates, I thought you meant that, like, guess which one is full of rum. <laughs> <laughs> this chocolate has Jared Cowan's face on it. Uh, uh, it probably has coconut in it. Gonna give it a miss. Yeah, Jared Cowan is the coconut of, uh, of Ottawa Senators defenseman. That's for damn sure. Well, I think that's about all I have to say about that. He said... Uh, that, that, that he said ambiguously. Is that tying into your box of chocolates, Rip? <laughs> in, in the Chet Sellers and Luke Pristy podcast, where Chet and a, a very special man who's touched a lot of lives uh, get to talk about the Ottawa Senators. It, it is weird that you showed up in a white linen suit, by the way. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else to say? Uh, there probably is, but just because you can say something doesn't mean you should. And I think that's the real lesson I've learned about this podcast. I think that's the real tagline of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. We've had some fun. We've learned a lot. And now it's time to go. Yeah. All, All right. right. See you later, folks. Bye. For a couple of hours, who both still live with their moms. Breaking the town's local hockey team down with some microphones on. No other podcast was finer. Or was more of a hit with the big rig diners. We never thought they'd make it past episode five. Whoa, somehow these dudes named Shed and Paris are alive. Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, I can see the intangibles going another way, where it's more like a senator's version of the movie The Expendables. Oh, I can see that. Where yeah. Chris Phillips is like the sly Stallone, right? Like, he, way too old and looks kind of weird, but uh, arguably... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Daniel Alfredson is Schwarzenegger, has Dan like a five-minute cameo. Daniel Alfredson could be Schwarzenegger with a five... But he's also, he's possibly... No, he's the Dolph Lundgren, right? He's the guy who who, you know, defects... And is a bad guy. And whoa, then whoa, comes... whoa, okay. First of all, we already have Dolph Lundgren, and his name is Cohen Greening. <laughs> <laughs> but go on. Defects, comes back, and, uh, you know, ends up uh, being one of the good guys, even if just for a minute again. And then Lazar, in the Intangibles discussion, is like the younger... Uh, who's like the youngest uh, expendable? Like Jason Statham? I was, I, like see, I wanted Bobby Ryan to be Jason Statham. No, Bobby Ryan is Terry Crews. Oh, of course. All right, sorry. <laughs> I mean, My bad, I don't guys. know why we're talking about sorry, this. Sorry, that, that one's on me. Yeah, I mean, come on.